Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henny. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the third part of our gray divorce series that involves prenuptial agreements. And Tasha is here with us again as our expert on estate planning and probate matters. And interestingly enough, kind of how prenups fit into that, um, those areas of law. So welcome. Hello, Tasha. Thanks for having me. So also big news in our office is Tasha's been voted as the winner of the best of Omaha in estate planning as a lawyer in our area. That's amazing. Yeah. And and second year in a row. Yes. Yes. This is my second year. At what point does it become a streak? Um, At two years, right? Yeah. It's a streak. streak. (laughs) And we're not talking about nude running across the football You're not streaking. Well, maybe. I'm trying to remember if I ever did that in my life. I feel like I would remember if I did it. Yeah. I don't think I did. I think it's hilarious that you can't remember. (laughs) You can't remember if you don't remember. (laughs) Right. I don't think you've done that. Let me think. Have I ever streaked? Like in public? Knowing me, I probably did never do that. I feel like there's going to be like 20 people that write to us and they're like, no, I was there. <laughs> okay. Their uh, memory is better than yours. Right. Have you ever streaked, Tracy? No. Like, well, I feel like this is, that's like a big deal. Like, yeah. in, like I'm talking about streaking at a football game oh. when the stands are full. Oh, no, I no, definitely no, no. have not done that. Oh, yeah. I, but, but, what other but there's streaking like minor counts. streaking. I don't know. Like, like you take your shirt off and run down the street with your friends or something. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking like college frat parties. <laughs> I don't know. I feel no. like Susan is showing her true colors. I feel like there had for streaking for it to be considered streaking. There needs to be some sort of public nudity yes. part to it. Yes. Yeah, it needs I've to be in that. public. It's not running from your bedroom to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have never streaked. Um, have you wanted to? Mm, I don't think so. Like an urge no, to do it? No, I'm not really a naked person. I don't. I don't Me like either. showing my. But Tasha can't remember if she hasn't <laughs> done it or not. I've I've never even been skinny dipping. Never. What? I know. Weird, huh? I mean, I do it all the time at my house. Well, it's not uh, private skinny dipping is different. Yeah. I've never. But is it? Yes. I think when you play the like never have I ever and someone says skinny dipping, they don't mean like go in your own private pool or hot tub. I think they mean like at a party or with friends or at a hotel or something like that. Where you like jump over the fence at night, break in (laughs) to the public pool. I do know that would be one for sure prerequisite. It would have to be dark outside (laughs) for me to do it. Not during the day. And pools always have those like safety lights that are like really bright. And they come on when when there's movement. So you think it's going to be dark. And then all of a sudden you're like naked and there's the security light. Bam. everyone from their apartment comes out onto their porch and looks down at you. But kind of once you're in the water, though, it's pretty, you know, blurred out. Kind of, maybe. Getting out of a swimming pool. I'd be using the stairs. Yeah. I would be using with the no stairs. clothes on. Not a, yeah. Mm. Oof. <laughs> so Tasha's on a winning streak <laughs> of the best of Omaha, but not yeah. a streaking streak, right? Correct. All right. Good job, Tasha. We're well, super thanks. proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely an honor, and I, I enjoy helping clients 
do estate planning. It's such an important part, I think, of of life, really, because it, if you have a good plan in place, it makes things a lot easier in times when you need it to be easier. And I think it's important to know that you don't need an estate to have an estate plan. Correct. So much about estate planning has really nothing to do with how many dollars are in your bank account. So all shapes and sizes, we are equal opportunity estate planners here. I think everyone knows already, but Susan's getting my cats. That's in my estate plan. Yeah, I, she, she I've just been bug eyed. I've been she told already knew this. I yeah. <laughs> I as I'm like bemoaning all the cat hair I already have at my house with yeah. my my two cats, my cats to get shed two more cats. Well, once one sheds, isn't it all the same? It, it's just the volume. Yes. It's yes. double. You have to get one of those fancy Roomba vacuums that vacuums every day. And then the cat sits on top of it yes. and spins around. Those are my favorite <laughs> YouTube TikToks. videos. Yeah. The actual Roomba vacuum, like the ones that get the best reviews, are really expensive. They are. We have we have one that is um not that brand. I don't know what brand it is, but we've had it for like seven or eight years and it's worked great. Huh. So Susan and I used to, um, in our old office, find cat compilation funny videos on YouTube and just sit and watch them and laugh and laugh and laugh. We need to do that again. We I do that with my kid now. I watch cat Is that videos. why we don't do them together anymore? No, well, we don't even have time to talk about like the stuff that we need to be talking about. We're I think every once in a while we should fit some funny cat compilation videos into our lives again. Put it, put it on the calendar. I'll just start playing them in the TV in the conference room. There you go. Whoever wants to come in. We'll do it during the podcast. Like right now? Can you yeah. start it right now? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's talk about prenups, though. And prenup, prenuptial agreements kind of sounds like a dirty word sometimes people think, right? Like It's not yes. a dirty word. I get yeah. that a lot where people, you know, they say, well, I you know, either I'm thinking about getting a prenup, but like, is that like, I'm just setting myself up for divorce, right? Or am I going to make him mad or her mad? Right. It's, it's usually either that or sometimes, which I feel like maybe is more typical what people think when they see in the movies or whatever, where one, one side of the pending marriage, their family maybe has assets or money. And so the family is really kind of pressuring one of the spouses to, to get into some sort of a premarital agreement to protect those family assets. Um, so I have a story. Sure. This literally just happened last night. So my mom's dating, right? And I was at her place to see my nephew last night. And she goes into her bedroom to talk on the phone to her friend. So I can only hear her side of the conversation. And she's explaining her boyfriend to this friend and she says, oh, I'm going to Vegas with another friend. And they were all joking that Paul and I should just elope. And I was like, no, mom, you have to have a prenuptial agreement first. And so she's describing this story to her friend on the phone. And I'm listening and shaking my head like, yep, I, I told you that. And then she says to her friend, and Tracy said she would even pay for it. And I was like, whoa, 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 I don't think I said that. And she's like, yes, you did. <laughs> so anyways, I like... I feel the importance of prenuptial agreements. I don't think my mom's going to elope or get married anytime soon, but um, I am the family member pressuring, um, and I think it's really important, and she was a great divorce, so you know, talking about this and thinking about all of the things that can um, be considered and should be considered in a prenuptial agreement is really important. Well, and I think to kind of 
turn turn those feelings or that that thought process around a little bit rather than seeing it as this negative, you know, if we get a prenup, we're automatically going to get divorce mentality. I see prenups as a way to open more doors for purposes of estate planning. So if you listened to our, um, you know, series two on, on this issue in terms of estate planning, you heard us talk about how if if you're in a situation where you are married, you have certain rights under the estate planning laws in Nebraska. And so then if you get divorced, your rights obviously are going to be greatly diminished. So if you then are getting married to somebody new, once they become a spouse, then they're going to have the same rights as your new spouse that your former spouse would have had. A lot of spouses running around here. But my point is that in order to potentially navigate away from what spousal rights are under the statute, if that is your goal, the only way to ensure that you can do that is to have a premarital agreement. So you sign the agreement which says that we can alter the rights that a person would have once they're married. And then once you're married, you do an estate plan that the two of you can agree on that say, okay, yes, this is what we want to do. Obviously, it doesn't comply with law, but we can do that because we have this premarital agreement. And I think, you know, I had a client once, um, one of my very favorite clients, she was on her fourth divorce. Um, Of course she was your favorite client. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she, she had never had a premarital agreement, a prenuptial agreement. And this was a longer term marriage. And I joked with her, I said, the next time you get married, are you going to have a prenuptial agreement? And she was like, oh, Tracy, I'm not going to get married again. Uh I thought, did you think that, you know, after your second and third? And she's like, yeah. So it's, you know, having that conversation, like even on multiple marriages can still be a longer term marriage. And, you know, this woman has some adult children that I think every time she gets married, they're like going, what's going to happen? You know, because that new spouse can end up taking all the assets that originally probably you intended for your adult children and not your fourth husband. So a, a prenuptial agreement, just to get down to the basics, is really just a contract between the two people who are going to get married, right? That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. So it follows contract law that, um, you know, there needs to be certain things within that document to show that it's valid. And, you know, if it were ever to be challenged in court, the judge would look at those, you know, specific um, or like general contract terms to make sure that um, it's enforceable and it was entered into without coercion or anything like that. But that's what we see sometimes when we think about prenups being kind of dirty is like the person with all the money like forcing the other person to sign it like 12 hours before the marriage or something right so, outside the church <laughs> right right oh by the way can you sign this yeah um so in terms of kind of a basic understanding of premarital agreements the number one thing i would say is we have an emphasis on the word pre pre so in the state of nebraska you have to do it before the marriage Nebraska does not allow post-nuptial agreements unless they are part of a divorce proceeding. So once you are married, you can no longer do any sort of a prenuptial agreement unless you are getting divorced because then it's considered a property settlement because you're separating. I think we just had a potential client call in, I think I saw this in the intake, and wanted to amend their prenuptial agreement. Now they're married. 
Can you amend a prenuptial agreement? So what's interesting is I've done some research and there's nothing in the in the statutes that govern premarital agreements that says one way or another. And I've seen premarital agreements where they will specifically say in them that this contract is amendable as long as both parties agree and are willing to sign it and it's mm. in writing. You know, typically we're going to witness those signatures so that it would be notarized. Um, there wasn't any case law really either that I saw in terms of, you know, where a case went before a judge and a judge decided whether or not an amendment would be enforceable. So, and sometimes too, we have to think about, you know, logistically, if there isn't a problem and both parties are agreeing to abide by it, then the judge probably isn't going to make a stink about it, right? right. They're not going to create a problem where there isn't one. So it's it's an interesting gray area of yeah. the law uh, in the sense to see what I did there. Yeah, good one. <laughs> um, gray, but not gray. Right. So it's an interesting question as to whether or not it would be enforceable. I don't think that it necessarily harms anything in doing the amendment if everybody's on the same page. But tell us, though, because I think this is important. Um, a prenuptial agreement is kind of like a will. It gets drafted, but it doesn't go to anyone like a judge to review and approve, right? It'll just sit there until it's ready to be either contested or enforced, right? Correct. So everyone's relying on the lawyer or lawyers to review and draft this prenuptial agreement that later, well, you hope it's going to be good. No one's reviewing it to make sure um, it's enforceable beforehand. That's true. That's true. I've seen the typical structure for a premarital agreement. Is Which also a, means don't do it on legal Zoom. Correct. Or a napkin. <laughs> toilet well, paper. we do know that wills can be done on napkins, right? Yes, a holographic will. So if it's completely 100% in your own handwriting, so no typing it on the computer. I mean, what's interesting is that the statues <laughs> haven't caught up with technology, right? Every time I hear holographic will, I think of kaleidoscopes. I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with that. Or like the stickers that are, you know, you yes. turn them a little yeah. bit and it's like. What is that word? Is it yeah, hologram. hologram? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. But can you have a holographic prenuptial agreement? I don't, I would say that it, that would be the same as, I, I don't think that, that the statutes make a distinction between one that's written in your own handwriting versus one that is written like on a computer. I think the question is going to be, as to its authenticity, right? And so, how do we determine that? So typically in premarital agreements, what I've seen, at least in my practice, is that the document is gonna say, here are the two parties. They each had their own attorney, which I highly recommend. It goes to the stability and the enforceability of that document. If each person has their own advocate saying, this is what you're potentially giving up. This is what, you know, making sure that that person understands what they're signing. So, and then those signatures are going to be typically witnessed or notarized. So a person's going to check and make sure that the person who is signing is actually the person who's part of that document. And then I've had some instances where attorneys have asked, like me and vice versa, where we say the attorney is also going to sign a certification saying that they did represent this person and that they had a conversation with them about what this document means. Oh. So, and the other big thing too, in terms of a structure for the the premarital agreement, the statutes in Nebraska require that there be an adequate disclosure of assets. So, 
which it goes to the the knowing, right? If I'm going to marry someone and that person is asking me to waive my rights to their stuff, I have to know what their stuff is so that I know what yeah, I'm getting. Yeah, I might not want it anyways. Right. Or I might want more of it, right? Like all of your baseball collection, uh, your baseball card collection, don't want it. Correct. Beanie Babies. Well, funny story, while we were in Vegas, when we had a little downtime, my roommate and I, Carrie, watched a little documentary on the like the thing about Beanie Babies. And the it, you know, I was half asleep, half getting dressed and all that while we were watching it. You were half asleep getting dressed? No, no, That's like it was a, while it was on. I think I was like Early sort of morning. napping in, in oh. the beginning and then it was like <laughs> okay. time to get ready to go somewhere. And so I was in the shower, blow drying my hair, all that stuff. Wow. Half asleep. I was half asleep. <laughs> and then, so the interesting thing, what, what my takeaway from the whole Beanie Baby thing is, is that Beanie Babies were one of the first companies that had a website. And so they started putting the values of these Beanie Babies on their website, which had no correlation to anything in, in the real world. And that's what drove the prices up was because they were on the web. And that was the one of the first things that kind of commodity-wise prices were listed on the web. Wow. So my, my grandma had hundreds of Beanie Babies. She has since passed. And I remember she had a room in her house that she had, she had like, for example, she had all of the animals that you would find on Noah's Ark. And then my uncle built her a <laughs> Noah's Ark. And oh, she had them cool. Displayed. Do you have a picture of this? Oh, I, I should see if I can find Let's it. Like find the walls are painted. She had a bunch of animals that I don't know why they were associated with a hot air balloon, but my uncle had built her like this wooden. Please find these pictures. We will share air. this on Facebook. Oh, it was awesome. Like she had a bird cage, like an actual bird cage. And then she had all the different bird ones in. I mean, it was a cool room. Like, I'm sure I got some of them when she passed away. I don't know where they are now, but probably they're worth millions. And I no, they're well. The end of the story of the documentary is Beanie Babies are worthless. Oh, okay. Well, Except they have to give away to give yes, and um, to give away to kids. Unless someone has a Noah's Ark and they're missing a giraffe, <laughs> they will pay a lot for it, mm. right? But she had all the ones like you know how there was like ones for Fourth of July that yeah. were like red, white, and blue and. I mean, she had holidays. She had them all. She collected uh, salt and pepper shakers too, so I have some cool salt and pepper shakers. But yes, Beanie Baby Room. It was it was sweet. It was sweet. So uh, so I want to go back to the prenuptial agreement because I'm thinking about this one case that I had um, that had nothing to do with Beanie Babies, but they had like some interesting collections, and it's interesting because the attorney that will draft the prenuptial agreement is likely not the same attorney that may divorce the couple or one of the spouses, right? And but that's the attorney that is reviewing the prenuptial agreement to see if it's enforceable and see if there's any questions that they can break it down, right? So a case that I had was a very short-term marriage. They had a prenuptial agreement. And I remember thinking, reviewing this prenuptial agreement, like these people didn't have anything when they got married. So what was the point of the prenuptial agreement in that situation? I think sometimes in cases that I have seen People may think that they are going to have money in the future, one or both. I had a, I had um, a case one time where where the two people that were going to get married, each of them ha were poised to have very professional and lucrative jobs, and so their thought was, you know, we want to maintain our money separate in our marriage, and this is the best legal way we know how to do that. Um, 
again like we mentioned towards the beginning of our talk today sometimes there's pressure from family members to enter into some type of a contractual agreement ahead of getting married so that would be the two situations where i would see but most of the time i don't know that as part of my estate planning consultations I mean, typically the situation where I'm recommending a power of, excuse me, a premarital agreement is a situation like you mentioned with your mom, right? Where we have a great divorce and now we're potentially going to be having a second marriage. To me, that those are the situations that are ripe for a premarital agreement. But anyone can get one that's going to get married, right? You don't have to be gray. You don't have to be on a second or third or fifth. Fifth, Mary. you don't have to have a million dollars of beanie yeah. babies. Correct. I yeah. will tell you though, in that case that I had, um, one of them had amassed a business that then fell within the prenuptial agreement that that was that spouse's asset, and that the other spouse was not entitled to any portion of it. And so, a prenuptial agreement in that situation made settlement very easy because we read the prenuptial agreement to a T and decided it said the one spouse isn't getting any of the other spouse's business valuation. Um, and so I think that, you know, we, we reviewed that in the sense of seeing if, you know, was it done too close to the marriage? Was there, or to the wedding? Was there any pressure? Um, did they both have two lawyers? And, you know, we had done that research. But I think that prenuptial agreements can set up a lot of expectations in a marriage. And it... Just because someone is interested in a prenuptial agreement doesn't mean they're also just assuming they're going to get divorced. There's a lot of prenuptial agreements that just never have to be looked at again, right? That's true. That's true. And typically, the premarital agreement is going to talk about two main life events that we're trying to plan for. The obvious one that people always think about is we get married and then three, four, 10, 20 years from now, we get divorced. So then what happens with our marital and premarital assets and how are we going to split those between the two of us typically there's a conversation about alimony also one thing that a premarital agreement cannot decide is child support that's always a determination for a court but in terms of alimony and asset division premarital agreements allow parties to do that the other situation that typically is covered by a premarital agreement that people don't talk about as much is a situation where one of the spouses dies. Mm. And so, especially in the context of gray divorce, that's super important, right? Because if you have a situation where it's a second marriage and maybe one or both parties have children from a prior marriage, and maybe the assets that were accumulated, I can think of an example right now where I had a situation where we were doing a premarital agreement for a couple who were getting married late in life. They both had experienced gray divorce. And much of the assets accumulated by one of the spouses was between that spouse and their former, their former wife. And so being able to preserve some of those monies for the children of that marriage, right? That oh, it would yeah. not then go to the new spouse. Right. But the only way to have those options in estate planning and to ensure that they will happen is to have that premarital agreement. Otherwise, under the Nebraska Code, a spouse, if you're married and your spouse dies, you're entitled to roughly half of their estate. It's called the elective share. So in order to not have to be worried about an elective share, 
you have to have this premarital agreement, this contract that says, I'm willing to waive that. Interesting. So a lot of different document planting is really important, both in a gray divorce situation or in a you know, non-gray divorce situation, if you want to be really clear of who's going to keep what after a divorce. So I think that the takeaway really is, again, talk to an attorney. Um, you can talk to the attorneys without your spouse knowing or your fiance knowing. But prenuptial agreements are really important to be done on a timely basis where you're not looking at right before a wedding and that it also should be reviewed by two attorneys, right? I would agree with that, yes. So one attorney representing each of the um, soon-to-be spouses. And in Nebraska, pre is the operative word. It has to be before a marriage. Correct. So thanks, Tasha, for being here and helping us with our three-part series about gray divorce. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tasha. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.